Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. We are excited that you're here with us. Uh, quick question. Have you noticed the world's a little bit messed up? <laughs> Things like wars, you, you know, um, a country we thought was going to be our ally, and now they're, you know, trying to take over another. I mean, it's just weird. Uh, arguments over, like, a vaccine, super weird, right? H have you ever noticed maybe that you're a little messed up? You know, I mean, maybe turn to the person next to you and be like, you're messed up. Um, don't really. But, but right, I, I mean, we look in the mirror and we go, this isn't the way it should be, right? You, you look at things you did a couple years ago and you're like, man, and it just kind of irks you, the things that you've done or you remember something you said to somebody or maybe yesterday, uh, maybe driving to church today, the way you treated your spouse or your kids, and you're like, oh, man, things just aren't the way they're supposed to be. Well, pretty much everybody in the history of the world knows, as they look around, things are a little off. The question is, what's the answer, right? And so there's all kinds of solutions. What well, government's the answer? Um, or escape is the answer. So I'm going to go to substance abuse or whatever it is, drugs, alcohol, yeah, and just escape from the problems of the world. Or is religion the answer? Is church the answer? That's an interesting question, and that's a little bit what I want to talk about over the next few weeks, is looking at religion. Now, here's the problem with religion. Religion doesn't offer the things that we're looking for. Religion doesn't offer these promises. Now, you're going to sit there going, huh? Right, right? So we're going to be talking about religion versus something else. Church versus something else, and they're not totally different, but Jesus, when in the Gospels, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus refers to the church three times. Three times in the Gospels. He refers to something else 130 times, the kingdom. Jesus appears to have a heart for the kingdom of God in which the church is an outworking of that. And so they're not totally exclusive. So we're going to wrestle with that tension a little bit. But what is different about religion and what God wants to do through his kingdom? Because in the Gospels, when Jesus is speaking, most of the time when he speaks about religion, he's speaking against the religious leaders. He's speaking against the way it's practiced uh, with tradition and legalism. And he's trying to get to something different. And so he talks about the kingdom. Turn to Matthew, if you would. Matthew chapter 4. If uh, you don't have a Bible, we have one for you. Uh, it's in the seat in front of you or under your seat. That's yours. You can keep it. And it's page 897. So make it easy on you. 897, the book of Matthew was written by Matthew. Um, he had been a tax collector. Uh, he gave his life to Jesus. And he's writing the book of Matthew really to, it looks like, a, a Jewish audience. And he talks a lot about the kingdom. And Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom. There's a focus here. And so the year, again, page 897, or Matthew 4, the year is probably 27 A.D., ish. Jesus is probably around 30-ish, right? I mean, we don't know all those things exactly for sure, but Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, uh, born to the Virgin Mary, right? Uh, actually born to a virgin. Jesus grew up with a stepfather named Joseph who was a builder, so he was also a builder. He's kind of this blue-collar guy, but he's also a genius, right? I mean, he's God in flesh. Um, so we saw him when he was 12 years old or so uh, in the temple, kind of challenging the, the teachers there. They're like, man, this kid knows so much. So, so this is Jesus. 
And he had grew up, and now he's, again, 30-ish, uh, and he's about to enter his ministry. So he's, he's switching, right? He's changing kind of his, I mean, the reason he came was these three years and the culmination of his death and resurrection. But how does he begin? I think this is really interesting. So Jesus, right, when it's time for him to enter his ministry, he goes to uh, John the Baptist. We're going to look at him in two weeks. John the Baptist, who is baptizing and preaching, and Jesus goes and says, I need to be baptized. And John's like, whoa, <laughs> I, I know who you are, right? God gave him a sign of how he would know the Messiah. He's like, you should baptize me. And Jesus said, no, this is God's plan, right? This is the Father's plan, baptize. So he baptizes Jesus. Jesus goes off into the wilderness and is tempted by the devil. Now, we're given just a handful of temptations, but he's out there for a month or so. And so he's tempted probably by more than just what we see. And the point of that is he passes the temptation where the original Adam, our first father, real person, failed. So Adam and Eve failed in temptation. Jesus had to go through temptation and pass it so he could be our propitiation. He could be the person we needed. Now he comes back from the wilderness, probably gets some food, um, and he begins his ministry. And how does he begin? Look in Matthew. Look at Matthew 4, 17. This is right after all of that. It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was Jesus' first message. And he would go from place to place, and that was his first message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is very interesting. John the Baptist in chapter 3, Matthew 3, 2, you don't have to turn there, but he says the, he's preaching the same thing. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Interesting. Later, the disciples, they would be sent out and told to preach. And what are they told to preach? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. All about this kingdom. God's solution to the brokenness in humanity is his kingdom. Now, I'm going to challenge it's not religion, although the distinctions aren't always perfect, but his answer to the brokenness is his kingdom. What is a kingdom? Right? We think of Jesus a lot, and we think of him as Savior. We think of him as friend, which are absolutely accurate and true. We think of him as brother sometimes because he's, he's called our brother. How often do we think of Jesus as our king? Because that's what a kingdom is. A kingdom is a place with a king ruling. And, and how do kingdoms work? The king is, is the supreme authority in the land. That is a kingdom. And the role of those in the kingdom is to surrender and submit to the will of this king. That is a kingdom. And Jesus is king. That's, that's the difference. I think we're going to see, I'm throwing it out right, right away. The difference between religion or tradition and a kingdom is we're surrendered to a king. You can do religion, you can do tradition without being surrendered to Jesus as king. But Jesus is king. I, I, this morning as I was preparing this, I remembered an old song and I asked Paul if he knew it and he didn't know it, so we can't do it. Um, but I think we did it when I was in gospel choir. It was, you know, King Jesus is all. Anybody else know that song? King Jesus is all, you know it? I don't know how you know it. Great song, but it's all about the king, right? And, and I was singing it this morning. I remember the whole thing. I'm not going to sing it for you. Um, but it's all about the king, and we were just singing a song about the king. Those are worthwhile songs to remember that Jesus is the king. That is a kingdom. So, so what is God's kingdom, right? So we see here it says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Bible talks about the kingdom, and sometimes it's the kingdom of heaven, Sometimes it's the kingdom of God. Sometimes it's just the kingdom, but it's all the same thing. The kingdom of heaven is 
the redemptive rule and reign of God in Christ. So when we think about the kingdom, that's the kingdom. The redemptive rule and reign of God in Jesus. So Jesus is the king. Now, you'll challenge, well, God is king of everything, right? Absolutely. God created it. He has supreme authority. But the redemptive rule and reign, he, he has let us in our fallen state go our own ways. You see that in Isaiah. You see that all over the place. We go our own way, and God's not okay with that. So he wants to break into creation with Jesus, his son, to create a reign and rule. So right now there's pockets of the kingdom all over the world. Right? There's little pockets here and there and here and there of God's redemptive rule and reign through Jesus where some people are surrendered to Jesus as king. So that's as we talk about the kingdom over these next three weeks, that's it. The redemptive rule and reign of God through Jesus. So then what's the difference between the kingdom and church or religion or Christianity? I, I actually struggle with even the word Christianity because it's accurate. We, we are in religion. Maybe you've heard Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. Well, it's a religion too. Um, but, but it is a relationship. But in, in Christianity, there are many, I would challenge, who are not surrendered to the king. There are many churches that are not part of the kingdom. And there are good churches that are serving the kingdom with a lot of people in them who are not part of the kingdom. So you can be religious and go to church. You can claim the name of Christian and not be a citizen of the kingdom of God. So there's a difference there. We can't just look at a group and go, yes, those are God's people. That's a kingdom. It's where it's working. So again, the church can be useful. It can be helpful as it serves the kingdom, as it serves the redemptive rule and reign of God through Jesus. So this is in the notes. I forgot it's in there. A church can be helpful to individuals and society only to the measure that it is surrendered to the redemptive rule and reign of God in Jesus. Religion, you know, maybe you're here and you're like, oh, I, I, I'm not crazy about, um, you know, institutional religion. Um, or you know people that way, and, and I would actually agree. I, I've struggled with the idea of even, you know, organized religion, and you have denominations, right? Um, so when we planted common ground, uh, rubbing shoulders with other planting agencies and what are these? A lot of the denominations, Baptist, Presbyterian, go down the list, they look at planting churches where they don't have another of their denomination. And I asked the question, they said, we need to plant here. I said, well, how many other healthy kingdom churches are there that aren't your denomination? All of them. I don't know. I'm like, well, that matters. It's not about your denomination. It's about the kingdom. And in the kingdom, different denominations can serve the same kingdom. It's not about that. So we get wrapped up a lot of times in church and miss the kingdom. But I already told you how many times kingdom is used in the gospels and church three times. In the rest of the New Testament, kingdom is used 34 times. Church is used 111 times. So that's a little bit interesting is when Jesus died, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, then the church does seem to be the way God is working out his kingdom. But the church, that word is ecclesia, or ecclesia, however you want to read it, and it doesn't mean a building. It means a group of people called out for a purpose. So God's kingdom is a group of people surrendered to Jesus as king, working it out in this world. Now, back to just this one verse from that time, verse 17, 417. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, that message is so thick, right? Jesus is the king. 
And here's his message. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent means to turn around. Right? It means to change directions. It really means to change allegiance. So the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is on the way. The picture is of, say, a, a village, a town, and there's a king coming with an army to conquer. And that village, those people go, can we take this king on? And they do the math. I'm like, well, that's God. So no. Um, and so the king is coming. What do you do? You bow the knee to the king, right? Okay, we are giving up our sovereignty to you. Repent. That's what, change allegiance. We're, we're no longer following whatever we were or ourselves. We're following you. That's this message. Repent because the king is here. Change your allegiance. And that's what we need to do. Again, the church serves that. And I, I like this picture. You have the kingdom. It's kind of like this big umbrella. And underneath it are individual churches that serve the kingdom. So, I mean, in our town, there's a lot of good churches that are part of the kingdom. And this is where I look forward to maybe a shift in our thinking of this church is better than this church or this, right? But they're different and serve the kingdom differently, which is really good. I'm friends with Chase, the pastor of the Baptist church here in town, and I really like him. We have the same heart and mission. They carry it out differently. They're more traditional than we are. Some people want some of those traditions, and that's okay. That's good. So it works out differently, again, as we follow the kingdom. But the kingdom goes straight to the heart. Look at Matthew 4 now, 23 through 25. So he begins his message, and now we see him really starting to minister. Verse 23, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. There we get kind of this broad description of what he's doing. And he does two main things, if you notice, everywhere he goes. He teaches, right? Specifically, he teaches about the gospel of the kingdom, the good news that the king is there, and he heals. He does miracles and healing. He does all these things, both. Those go together. Why? A couple reasons. For one, throughout the Old Testament, you see the predictions, the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And when he comes, he's going to come, the blind will see, right? The lame will walk. You'll see these miracles. The dead will be raised, right? Jesus does those things in order to authenticate his identity, who he is, and his message. But there's another piece. He's, he's breaking through the kingdom, is breaking through into this life now. So ultimately, in the future, the kingdom is going to be physical on a new heaven and a new earth. God is going to wipe away every tear. He's going to heal every sickness, every disease, all that. It's going to be excellent. Right now, he breaks in a little bit. He comes in and he gives a taste of what the kingdom will be eternally by doing these healings and setting people free, which is a really good picture of what he's going to do. So this is in your notes. Healing miracles authenticate Jesus' message and give a foretaste of the complete healing we will enjoy when God's kingdom is fully realized. And in that, we see a little bit of this concept we need to understand about the kingdom. It is already and not yet. God's kingdom is here now spiritually. We can surrender to the king. He can exercise rule and reign. He does do miracles and things among his people. Absolutely. So it's here, but it's not yet fully realized. It will be fully realized when Jesus comes in flesh 
as king, sets up his rule and reign. We get new bodies. Sin is cast out. It's going to be sweet. You want to be there. But it's already and not yet. And so we have this tension through our life. Right? We still wrestle with sin. We look around, the world is broken. And so we hunger, right? We're homesick for eternity. We're homesick for his kingdom fully realized, and we look forward to that. So now with the rest of our time, I want to look at the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, 1 through 11. Because here, we are seeing the blessings of the kingdom. Why should we be attracted to the kingdom? Why should we think about the kingdom? What does it matter to you and me right now today. Look at 5, 1 through 11. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger, and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you, and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You've probably read these before. Maybe you've heard them. These are called the Beatitudes. And there's two ways to read this, or, or two ways that I've heard read. One is these are instructions and commands. That if you do this, you will experience this. If you are merciful, you shall receive mercy. There's a second way to read it, and that these are kingdom norms. The second way to read this is that this is just what happens in the life of somebody or a group of people in his kingdom. Are these a list of rules to do, or are these just descriptions of what is happening? Something we can look forward to, gifts. Well, first, we need to ask the question, what does blessed mean? Right? We use that word, blessed. How are you? Blessed. Blessed literally means happy. It does. It means happy. But the biblical concept of blessed is deeper than that. It's, it's happy or it's joyful because of God's favor. The blessed person God looks at and says, I approve of you. I, I favor you because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's why we can be blessed. Right? If he looks at us without Jesus, he sees our sin, our filth, right? our rejection, our rebellion. But when we surrender to Jesus as Lord, his blood covers our sin, and God looks at us and says, I choose you, you are part of my family, and you're blessed. And that blessing brings joy, which is a feeling, but not always a feeling. Right? So being blessed, the blessed person experiences joy that comes from participation in God's kingdom. Joy that comes from participation in God's kingdom. That's the blessed person, right? So, so the religious person isn't going to feel this blessing. In fact, a lot of times the religious person is going to feel the burden of the religion, right? Or the duty of, of doing the things, or maybe they like just doing the things, but they miss out on the blessing because they're not surrendered to the king. And here we're going to see these list of blessings, but here's the answer to that first question. These blessings are not commands to do. None of these are commands. 
So if we read those and go, oh, I really need to try harder on that, we kind of miss the point. I mean, some of that is good. I need to be more merciful or whatever that, yes. But the point here is that this should be normal within the kingdom. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says it this way. It says, the blessings of the Beatitudes are kingdom blessings, and the Beatitudes themselves are kingdom norms. Meaning, within any church that is really serving the kingdom, these things are normal. Within the life of a believer, surrendered to Jesus as king, these things should be normal, right? They're not aberrant. You don't see a person living this way, oh, they're a unique, special person. This should be all of us surrendered to Jesus as king. And so let's look quickly through these. There's, there's quite a few of them. But verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed is the poor in spirit. What does that mean? Poor in spirit. Sometimes people will read, you know, because elsewhere it's blessed are the poor. This isn't just, you know, financial, no money. This is poor in spirit. This is the humble person. It's an absence of pride. Specifically, this is the person that, that looks in the mirror, that looks at themselves and realizes, I am helpless and hopeless without Christ. That's what it means. The kingdom citizen recognizes their spiritual bankruptcy apart from God. How is this different than religion? Religion often, the religious person, well, they think they're doing God a favor. Maybe you felt that way. God needs me. I'm pretty special. I'm pretty good. In fact, I'm so good, you guys should be like me, right? I mean, that's where religion goes. Here, the poor in spirit is the person that goes, without Jesus, I'm nothing. I'm wasted. I'm lost. And so there's just this heart humility. But if you look at the history of the church, so often, Churches drift. We have this now, and we have to guard. I'm not judging, you know, what has happened, but I am. Um, but we need to guard. It's not like, hey, we figured it out, and they haven't. But churches throughout history can lean toward this, oh, we're special. We're, oh, me, you know, look at how good I am. Rather, we maintain this poor in spirit. I got to flip over to Luke. Don't turn there. Just listen. Luke 18, Jesus gives a, a parable that makes this point very well. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. There's the key. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. That's what religion can do. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and another, a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the poor in spirit. Not the one that stands, look at me. The one who goes to God that way. Uh, there's a way I, I learned to pray when I was younger. Uh, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy. It comes from right that. You know, and, and I don't remember where, it might have been St. Francis of Assisi or something like that. But it's like, you pray the prayer and then focus on a different word, right? Lord, okay, who is Lord? You, you know, Lord Jesus, who is Jesus? You know, and kind of go through the list. And it's, it's very humbling to pray. I shared that with a, a church leader at one point, And he looked at me blank, confused. Like, well, why would you go there? We're past that. We're all good now, right? I said, no, I, I think we're supposed to remain poor in spirit before God. 
What's the next one? Well, actually, first, what's the blessing? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Is, present tense. So, again, this isn't something to do because right now, if we belong to Jesus, we are part of the kingdom. We are in the kingdom. So it's not like we have to do this to get it. We already have it, and this is the result. And so the blessing here, right, is the kingdom itself. Now look at the next one, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, this isn't mourning for any reason. This isn't the, blessed are you when people in your family die and you're sad about it. Not, Not at all. Blessed are those who mourn, mourn over sin. That's the point. Blessed is the person who sees sin and goes, ugh right? Sin in their own lives and sin in the world, right? They're pained by, by the sin that's really destroying the world because what is it that, that makes the world was it, what it is? It's sin. It's original sin, and then we continue to sin. And so we look at it, and we're pained by it, and we look at our own sin, and we, mourn, we are grieved by sin. You want to know a great evidence that you are not part of the kingdom? You just go do whatever you want. And you don't feel anything about it, Right? One of the evidences for us that we are truly part of the kingdom, that Jesus is Lord, is sin grieves us. It doesn't mean we're perfect. None of us will get there. But but when we sin, oh, it, it, it pains us. We are grieved. In God's kingdom, there is joy because we are grieved by sin. That grieving actually does create joy because it leads us a different way that we see in the next beatitude. But the psalmist writes this well. Streams of tears flow from my eyes, for your law is not obeyed. Right? That's that idea, this this desire to be rid of sin. Look at verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Again, kingdom citizens are meek. You know, what is meek? It's not weak. Meek, I really actually, I love the word meek. It's strength under control. That's meek. Jesus, the strongest person to ever live, right? When he's being beaten and betrayed and and going to be crucified, he could have called down all the angels and destroyed everybody. He could have taken control. The strongest that's ever been, and in his meekness, he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. That's strength under control. We are meek. In the kingdom, there is joy and gentleness and self-control. Again, we're comparing religion with the kingdom. Look through the history of religion for its own sake. Again, the church often serves the kingdom well. But the times where it gets off into religion, it promotes self-assertive people, strong people, powerful, right? right? And so there's this exercise of power to control others or whatever it is. Now, blessed are the meek. When Jesus, with his disciples, he gave them instructions on leadership. Right, they're fighting over who's the greatest. I'm better than you, and I'm better than you. Who's the greatest? And he turns, he's like, whoa, 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 time out. That's the way the world does it. In my kingdom, the greatest is the least. So you want to be greatest? You humble yourself, and you get under everybody else. You serve. So leadership in the church should be a, a serving role, not a power role. As you look at the history of the church, you see, oh, that's, that's gotten wrong quite a few times. And there's a tendency toward that. But the joy is in meekness. Why is there joy with that? There's joy in that so when you're wronged, you don't have to get back, right? When you're abused, whatever, you don't have to get yours because you're meek. You can control your strength. Again, self-control and trust that to God. That's where the joy comes. When we feel like we need to step up for ourselves, 
oh, that, that's not a fun place to be. But when we can trust God with it because we are meek, that's where the joy comes from. And again, this should be normal. This should be normal. And what is the promise on that one? Blessed are the meek, five, for they shall inherit the earth. That is a future, right? Some are, you have the kingdom. This one, you shall inherit the earth. This is an eschatological promise. That word means future, end times. In the end, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. It will be physical. We will have physical bodies, and we will possess that earth. With Jesus here as king, and it's going to be awesome. That's this promise. That's this hope. You will inherit the earth. The kingdom promise is eternal life bodily on a new earth in God's presence. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This seems to be the other side of the coin of of verse 4, right? We mourn for sin, verse 4, we hunger for righteousness. Hunger and thirst, I mean, that's a craving. That's a hot day, like maybe we'll have one this week, right, where you're out working in the yard and you're thirsty. Oh, I'm just, I'm parched and I just need to drink it. We thirst for righteousness. We crave righteousness. Now, this is different. This gets confused a lot, righteousness, right? We are seen as righteous because of Jesus on the cross, but we hunger and thirst to walk in a way that glorifies him. This is progressive in this life. Honestly, when we're first saved, we're still going to have struggles and sin and habits. God will fix some things immediately, but some things take time. And so this hunger and thirst is this progressive change to be more like Jesus. And we hunger and we thirst for it. So we look at our sin and we go, oh, I don't like it. Oh, I want this. And, you know, all of God's commands are for our good. The better we can walk in obedience, the better our lives are in general, and the more joy and peace and hope we have. So joyful is the Jesus follower because they have a craving to live out their new identity in line with Jesus' character. Again, as I read through commentaries and stuff on this, several people use the word homesick. And that resonates with me. We're homesick for the perfect kingdom. Oh, we're sinned by, or we're grieved by sin. We hunger to walk rightly and it's going to happen someday. And so we look forward to that. We're homesick for that day. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Again, this is not a command that if you're not merciful, you won't receive mercy because we've already been shown mercy. If we belong to Jesus, mercy, we won't get what we deserve. But if that's the case, we've been forgiven, then we are forgiving people. There's a a concept you see throughout scripture, right? The more we're forgiven, the more we should be forgiving. We are merciful people. We find joy in forgiving quickly and not giving others what their sin deserves. That's merciful, right? We're going to be wronged, but we don't have to get them back, right? We can refrain. We can trust God with that. We can show mercy because we've been shown mercy. There's so much freedom in that. And then verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Look at the promise there, for they shall see God. Again, eschatological, in the end, the new heaven and the, the new earth, we will see God face to face. We will dwell with him forever. This life is so short. And we look at that, the kingdom is here already, but not yet. We're not yet face to face. That's going to be great. And so because of that, we are pure in heart, right? Blessed are the the pure in heart. That means not a hypocrite, Uh, pure motives. 
the one who is single-minded in commitment to the kingdom and its righteousness will also be inwardly pure. Uh, we're talking about real heart change, meaning we don't have to fake it. In religion, in church, a lot of times it's about conforming to a mold, isn't it? It's about looking the part without heart change. You can do religion really well and not have a heart change. But here in the kingdom, we are free to not be hypocrites. Now, again, it doesn't mean we walk around with all our sin, you know, written out. This is what I struggled with today. And I, I, no, but, but it does mean we can be real, right? We don't have to put on a face, a mask, and, and all pretend we all have it good. This is why we focus on groups. We want to get in groups where we can share life, get to know each other, be honest with one another, and then walk in that heart growth together because we are pure in heart, sincere. I like that word, sincere. Verse 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Again, when we surrender to Jesus, we are sons and daughters of the king. We're adopted. Colossians and other places make that really clear. We are adopted into his family, and we are peacemakers. Why is it the church has often had a reputation of gossip and slander and, and infighting? Because right here, if we're surrendered to the kingdom, we're, we're peacemakers. We're a whole bunch of peacemakers, meaning that shouldn't be part of who we are. We shouldn't be people who like to fight. We should be people who like to bring reconciliation. We don't delight in division or strife, right? No gossip, no slander. Again, we're looking to make peace. And it's not Peace for the sake of peace. Because I've seen that too. I was in a group of church leaders, and there's one, oh, we need to do this, whatever. There's another one, we need to do this. And a third person is like, there's always a middle ground. We always go right to the middle. I went, why? No. How about we go wherever God wants to go? How about we follow Jesus as king, right? So, so we get religion, and it's like, and it's this, the power struggle, right? Or just make peace. How about we be surrendered to the king, and we go where he shows us to go? That can be a lot harder, to be honest. That means we're in prayer, we're, we're in the word, we're humbly submitted, you know, we're, we're doing it together, we're talking about where does God want us to go, and then we go that way together. That's peacemaking. We look for reconciliation, but because Jesus is king, we go his way. It's not us trying to dominate or get our way. You see how different this is than maybe how we have often thought about religion or seen religion or experienced it. There's so much freedom in this. And then finally, blessed are those, verse 10, who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, we see the same promise, this future promise of the kingdom of heaven. We belong there now and will be fully realized later. But persecution should be expected. Persecution among God's people is actually normal. And if you look through history, it's actually normal. We should not be surprised by it, but we're blessed because we have a future hope. We have a hope in, now and then future perfection. And so even in the midst of persecution, we're blessed. We can have joy. In fact, you read in Acts when the disciples are beaten for their faith, they leave rejoicing because they were counted worthy to suffer for the kingdom. Those are the words used. That's this blessing that no matter what happens, we trust him and we can, again, we're blessed. We can have joy despite circumstances. And this future, right, the kingdom, we can't lose. You realize that? That Jesus already won on the cross. He said it's finished. We can't lose. That is a huge blessing for us. So again, as we look at tradition and religion, 
it can be very good as it serves the kingdom. Some tradition, if it draws us to a deeper love for the king, is great. I don't think we need to throw out all tradition. But if we have tradition, we need to look at why do we do these things that we do, and if they draw us to the king, great. If they become the thing in themselves, we have it off. We have it backward, right? So the greater we surrender to Jesus as king, actually our life will look more religious probably, right? We will be doing more things, but our, our reason for doing them will be different. We won't be doing it to earn or to get or, or just hop through the hoops. We're doing it because we have a king. That's what it's all about. In the kingdom, we have a king, and he is reigning and ruling now. Now, we're blessed today because we get to do baptism. Oh, <laughs> right? Baptism. So when, when uh, Peter taught the first sermon, at the end, they're like, what do we do? He said, repent. Same thing Jesus said. Repent and be baptized. Baptism is a sign that we are in this kingdom. It's a picture of being buried with Christ in the grave. That's why we dunk the way we do, being dunked, right, buried, and then raised to walk newly. So it's a symbol of this new life. Now, here's the question. Does baptism save you? It doesn't look like it, right? We're saved by faith in Jesus alone. Baptism doesn't save. But what about the person who says, I believe in Jesus, he's Lord of my life, but I refuse to get baptized? I'm going to wrestle with that, and if that's you, I'm going to challenge. So the first thing he tells you to do, you say, no, I'm going my own way. Then is he king? Because in a kingdom, you do what the king says. And so, again, I'm not going to say you're, you're not truly saved, but I am going to challenge, is he king? If you say, I believe, and I surrender, and the first thing he says, get baptized, and you don't, you need to wrestle with that, meaning today you can do it. So that's really good news, and we have extra clothes for you. So we are giving you all the the, the benefits, all the help, so that you can be obedient, and we can celebrate with you, actually, that new life. So with that, let me turn it over to Paul. All right. Well, we are excited today because I am uh, honored to baptize my son, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> Luke started talking about baptism a couple of months ago, actually a, a while ago, and we just, we were probably bugging you about it more so than anything, and uh, he said, I'm just not ready yet, I'm just not ready yet. And then a few weeks ago, he said, hey, Dad, next time we have baptism, I think I'm ready. How about Easter? And uh, we thought maybe God would speak to some people's hearts between uh, on Easter and maybe even today. And so we're excited that he took that step and he wanted everyone to know that Jesus is his Savior. We prayed together again last night um, just so we could have a, just a firm grasp of what it means to surrender to, to Jesus and what baptism means. And so, Luke... I'm going to ask you those questions. Have you surrendered to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yes. Are you willing to do whatever he asks you to do as your king? Yes. All right, then let's get this done. Go ahead and step in there. There we go.
one of the things I love about our hallway out here is, is the wall is covered in, with pictures. So many of you are up there on that wall, but we celebrate. So I hope that the picture of Luke is just the feet. Um, let's put that one up. Um, and maybe another one with his face, but that would be an awesome picture up there. Um, now, again, you know, baptism, and, and you did that very well. It's a celebration of new life. It's somebody saying, yes, it's not religious. If you were sprinkled as a baby, that's religion. That means nothing, right? Um, it's, it, that, it doesn't mean nothing. It, it's, it's good if it's a commitment of the parents to raise this kid, which is why we do dedication. That's a good thing. But it's not the response after faith, right? When you move to a different church or a different denomination, you don't get baptized again. Your baptism, it's a one-time thing after you're choosing to follow Jesus as Lord. So we're going to sing two more songs. I'm going to be up here by the baptismal. If you're here, you say, I need to do that. Yeah, I want Jesus to be king of my life. Or maybe you've already made that commitment and you want to tell everybody else, you won't have to speak, right? We won't put anybody on the spot if they don't want to share. If you do want to share, there's room for that. That's great. But if, if today is the day for you to get baptized, come up here and talk to me during this next song.